Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. We're continuing as we move forward towards the high holidays to have uh, Haftarot, Haftorah readings that are centered on the theme of comfort. And this week's is an interesting, uh, an interesting reading from Isaiah 54. You can turn there in your Bibles uh, if you have a Bible that turns. Now, if, if you've got a really good Bible, it will turn. And if you have a digital Bible, it will like flip. So, you know, I'm sure it will be in about 10 years that we'll say, flip in your Bible. And we'll stop even using the word turn. No one will even know what it means to turn a page. It's, it's scary, isn't it? Yeah, the days are coming when people won't know what paper is. Isaiah 54 speaks about uh, a word of encouragement for, for those who have suffered, for those who have been widowed, or for those who have been deprived of children, for those who have a sense that their future um, has, has been broken, and that the remedy is an interesting remedy, and I want to focus only on one verse that is mentioned here. This is addressed to uh, widows and to those who found themselves vulnerable to the barren woman as well. And this is what it says, Isaiah 54, verse 5, your husband is your maker, your creator. There's, a, there's an important idea here. You are not alone. You may have been left bereft and without a living spouse, but you're not alone. Your husband is your maker. You can depend on God to stand with you and to watch out for you, to protect you. But then it goes on and says, Adonai Tzavaot is his name. And that's really interesting because um, if, if, if you knew that you were married to a general, you'd know, well, I've got someone pretty powerful looking out for me. But Adonai Tzavaot is higher than a general. It's the Lord who is over battalions of heavenly hosts. And the Lord, Adonai Tzavaot, is his name. Now, the next part of the passage is, is what I think is universally important. It's, this is not only for uh, widows. It's not only for those who are barren. It's not only for those who have been left, in a sense, um, vulnerable. This is for everyone. And Isaiah says this very explicitly. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. And let's turn it around in syntax. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Who is your Redeemer? Now, the Lord is wanting it to be perfectly clear that he himself is our Redeemer. He will be called the God of all the earth. So just in case you were uncertain, is this really about the Lord? Is the Holy One of Israel the Lord? The next part of the verse makes it explicitly clear. He will be called the God of all the earth. The God of all the earth. 
This is the one we're talking about. Now, this is a very important idea because when we read in English, Redeemer, we, we may capture one, one side of it that has to do with general, the general thought of redemption, but we may not catch the, the idea that's contained in the Hebrew, um, the Hebrew word goal, goel, and some of the variants of that mean a kinsman redeemer. So it's not about a stranger, it's about a near relative. It's about someone who is part of your own family, someone who, if, if you want to read more about kinsmen redeemers, you can turn or you can look up later in Leviticus 25, which describes several cases of redemption. But it speaks about how someone could be redeemed. And it, it, it describes someone who is, uh, through misfortune, had to sell himself into slavery. It says, if a sojourner or a stranger, stranger close to you becomes rich, and one of your brothers who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. He may be purchased back. You can buy his freedom. One of his brothers may redeem him. So think about this. A kinsman redeemer can be a brother or his uncle or his uncle's son or a near kin to him in his family may redeem him or if he's able, he may redeem himself. So in other words, if, if somehow he has the resources, he could do it himself. Now let's go back with this in mind to Isaiah 54 and the Lord is saying, I am your redeemer. I am your redeemer. So you know what that means? The person does not have the resources on their own. Do you, do you grasp that? But I, I wanna describe three key propositions that are contained in this, in this verse. The first one is this, we need redemption and that requires a redeemer. The second one is, we cannot redeem ourselves. And the third one is, the Lord himself is our redeemer. So the Lord is our redeemer. So I'm just trying to unpack the content of what this passage is saying. Uh, we need redemption, that requires a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. We can't redeem ourselves and the Lord himself is our redeemer. The Lord himself is our redeemer. Now that third statement is really quite interesting. The Lord himself is our redeemer. That's what it says in English. What it says in Hebrew is the Lord himself is our close family relative who redeems us. The Lord himself. Let's just say the Lord himself. The Lord himself. The Lord himself does this. Now how can God, the invisible God, the, the uh, fantastic God who created the whole universe and is greater than and other than uh, the material universe, how can he be a redeemer? Well, the answer is found in Yeshua. Because he becomes, in Yeshua, a kinsman redeemer. He takes on, he takes on family 
characteristics. How does he do it? He takes on a body. Where is the body coming from? New Jersey? No. The body is coming from a family in Israel, right? And a human body becomes the container for Almighty God. He makes himself small. Now, there are some people who say, well, God can't do that. Um, and I would say to such people, so you're telling me you know the one thing God can't do. <laughs> Almighty God, omnipotent God, the God who has the power to do anything, the God who is ab above everything can't do that. I've tried that with some folks, and they almost always backpedal. Well, I'm not saying God can't do it. To which I say, uh-oh for you, because now you're in trouble. If he can't do it, it's one thing. But if he can do it, it's another thing. Now you have to know, did he do it? Some people have a, a difficulty with the idea that God could live inside of a human body. But the prophets of Israel have always declared that the Spirit of God can, will be coming and will live inside many human bodies. So the fact that God himself can take on a human body and then grow up and become a kinsman redeemer for us, this is connected to the idea that when Messiah dies, is resurrected, ascends, returns to heaven, and sends the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who Messiah sends can live inside human bodies. I want you to make that connection. It, it's a very important connection. If God can't live in a human body, then the Holy Spirit of God can't live in a human body. If the Holy Spirit of God can live in a human body, God can live in a human body. These ideas are connected. And so I want you to see that connection and hold on to it. It's a useful one, I believe. God himself becomes our kinsman redeemer. That means God himself becomes our kinsman. He becomes the near relative part of our close family, our near family, our brother, our uncle, a cousin, someone very close to us, who redeems, who pays the price for us. So think about it. We need redemption. We need redemption. Now, this may be fun. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you need redemption. <laughs> you need redemption. <laughs> you need redemption. Okay, now, okay, now turn again to them and say, I need redemption. I need redemption. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you're sitting next to someone and, and you say, you need redemption, their thought is, I do? Look who's talking. And when you say, I need redemption, sometimes the other person will be going, it's about time. But here's the truth. You and I, need redemption. We all need redemption. Every one of us needs to be redeemed. We're prisoners 
We're trapped, we're enslaved, everyone needs redemption. That second idea, we can't redeem ourselves. Our freedom will cost something. There's a price to pay, and we can't pay the cost. Someone else must pay a ransom for us. Someone else must pay the full cost. And that person, that one who redeems us, has to be a kinsman, a close relative. And so then the third idea, the Lord is our kinsman redeemer. Well, how can he do it? He becomes a family member. Now, this is an interesting idea. God is Father, yes? And the Spirit of God in us speaks a name, Abba, to God. The Spirit of God in us speaks to God and says, Abba. However, the kinsman redeemer is not our father. He's our brother. And so now we have multiple facets of relationship with God. He's our father. He's our brother. He's our husband. He's our maker. We're his bride. And this is very awkward for guys. Especially in a, in a world with confused gender these days. And so you have to be careful. <laughs> you, you do have to be careful in how far you go with some of these ideas. <laughs> However, think about this. The Lord becomes a member of our own human family. And the Lord takes on a human body in order to become our kinsman redeemer. There are many people who can't really grasp why would God take on a human body? Why would he do it? Why would he, why would he be born and not just appear full-blown? Well, he is born rather than appearing full-blown because he has to come into a family in order to be part of the family. If anybody drops out of the sky, he's not a member of the family, I assure you. To be part of the human family, you have to be born into a family. And that family becomes your family. And so Yeshua has a family, and his family has you know, like parents in the family and siblings and cousins and near relatives and so forth. They're part of an extended family. They're part of a tribe, which is part of a nation, which is part of humanity. So it's important for us to grasp this. Now, there's another idea that I want to bring up, and this, I think, is extremely important for us in the Messianic movement. It's a foundational idea, truly. And it's, it's embedded in this, this one simple passage Here's the idea. We cannot redeem ourselves. We cannot do it. We cannot redeem ourselves from the power of sin, from the power of death, from the slavery of sin, nor from the consequences of sin. We cannot redeem ourselves. This is extremely important because there, there is a Another perspective in many religious systems, both Jewish and Christian, which say you can redeem yourself, and here's how you do it, by doing enough good deeds. How do you do it from the Jewish perspective? 
you obey the commandments. You keep Torah. One of the dangers in the Messianic movement is people will confuse love of Torah and the instruction that God gives us with another idea, and that is, I will be a commandment keeper who will redeem himself by keeping commandments. And I can assure you um, that if you think you can redeem yourself by keeping commandments, you're in the wrong movement. In the Messianic movement, it's well understood you can't do it. Now, I'll tell you a secret. In rabbinic Judaism, it's also well understood that you can't do it, but it's like plan B without another plan. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. Try to keep the commandments. There's a, there are problems with it. Many of the commandments are temple-bound. Many of the uh, commandments are connected to uh, antiquity. Many are uh, connected to, as well, agricultural systems of different kinds. And many of them cannot be done under any circumstance. So if you think you can redeem yourself by keeping all the commandments, you're already in trouble because it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. But there's, an, there's another aspect that we should always remember, and that is one of the rules of commandment keeping is if you can't keep one and you violate it, then it's as if you have broken the whole system. Unless you keep the whole system, it's not enough. And you say, well, I'm a pretty darn good person. Well, now we're not even talking about commandment keeping. We're talking about boastful thinking and a, and a way of looking at oneself that is disconnected from the reality of holiness. I mean, you might be a really good person until you're compared to a much better person. One of the great human tricks is to find some Laos to compare ourselves to and then to say, well, I'm a lot better than he is. But that doesn't really work with God. Because when you compare yourself to a perfect and righteous and holy and just and all loving and perfectly compassionate, totally true, God, you're coming up short no matter how you do it. It's important to, to recognize that. When we realize we, can't keep our, we cannot redeem ourselves, then we become strong in understanding that we don't fit into a religious system that says you can redeem yourself. So the Jewish version I've described, some people come out of Catholic backgrounds, and, and there, there are some in, in uh, Catholic circles who think as well that they too can... Um, redeem themselves. There are some that come out of every background. And there is a temptation, it's a human temptation to think, I can do it myself. Well, that is considered a major error. That will get in the way of your faith in God and your faithfulness to God. And it's, it's important to recognize that we cannot redeem ourselves, we can't pay the price, we can't keep all the commandments, we can't even keep all the traditions perfectly all the traditions perfectly. 
And if you know anything about Jewish traditions, you know that each group of Jews has their own take on what is the correct way to keep Jewish traditions. Pardon me for this one, because I'll be stepping on toes. But there are people in the Messianic movement, even in our own congregation, who, who make a mishmash of other Jewish traditions and they take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and they don't know that they're doing that. So when the Torah is lifted up, they don't know, are they doing a Sephardic tradition, a Mizrahi tradition, an Ashkenazi tradition, or something else? And little fingers go up and you know people are pointing and it, it, this one is really troubling. Sometimes it looks like they're sig heiling to me. Um, <laughs> the Ashkenazi tradition of just bending your knee and, you know, taking note, that's not familiar to a lot of people. Um, there are different traditions about what direction you hold the Torah. And do you hold it this way with the, um, the text out, or you turn around and hold it this way? Do you hold it in front of you? I mean, there are a lot of different traditions, and so, What's important to me is that, that people do what's truly authentic to the experience that they've had. If you come out of a certain tradition, hallelujah. But if you are just an internet traditionalist, <laughs> you might not even know that you're doing a mishmash and making hash out of uh, Jewish traditions, and your combination may be totally unrecognizable to a Jewish person from any particular stream. Just honest talk from your rabbi. We can't even keep all the traditions perfectly. Now, if we could keep all the commandments, the Lord would not need to be our redeemer. If we could redeem ourselves, why on earth would God say, I'm your redeemer? And if you're wondering, it's not just in this verse. Throughout Isaiah, God makes this declaration, I am your redeemer. But it's not just in Isaiah. You'll find in Jeremiah, you'll find elsewhere that the Lord is saying, I am your redeemer. Now, this is contrary, even though it's in the scriptures, it's contrary to many common Jewish understandings about God. Because the idea that God could actually become a kinsman redeemer is unacceptable to all people who think God can't take on a human body and he can't become part of the family. We're part of his family, but he can't become part of our family. <laughs> now, when our hearts are moved by this and when our minds are moved by this, then we grasp in some way the great mystery of God who comes down from heaven and who pays the price for us, for us. And he takes the entire cost upon himself. He pays the price for us. And he bears the weight of our sin and he pays the penalty himself for our sins, not for his sin. This is important in our understanding of the life of Messiah and what Yeshua has done. Now, I'm bringing this to our attention because it's a great message of comfort. What a relief to know we can't redeem ourselves. What a relief to get off of the treadmill and the rat race and the, ha uh, the hamster cage. You know what I'm talking about? 
you know, where you're just, you're trying to redeem yourself. If you're, if you're stuck in that, I've got a word of comfort for you. You don't belong stuck. You don't belong in that. You will never get better that way. You will never mature, you'll never grow up, and that may seem contrary to you. You mean if I try to improve myself, I won't get better? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you try to improve yourself to become acceptable to God and to redeem yourself from the consequences of sin and to redeem yourself from the condition of being alienated from God, you'll never get better. You may fix one thing, but you won't fix the big thing. You may look more sanitary or polite, or your sins may be less appalling to you and your friends, but it doesn't mean that you fix the real thing with God. It's a great message of comfort when you realize God so loves you that he sent his son. He loves you so much that he sent a redeemer. And the Lord himself became a redeemer for you. He did that for you because you couldn't do it for yourself. Now, for everybody who's a type A personality, this can be difficult. For the schlumps, it's not always so difficult. (laughs) And the schlamazels can say, yeah, I've never really tried to get better about anything. Um... But for those who are performance-oriented, for perfectionists, uh, for type A-squared people, this can be very, very difficult to accept. Uh, For people who have high levels of conscientiousness, this can be hard to accept. And it can be acceptable at one level but not at another. But I want to encourage you as you're approaching the high holidays, to to spend some time with the Lord and evaluate your own position about this and discover for yourself, have, have you gotten to the end of trying to redeem yourself? Once you get to the end of it, you can be liberated. You're no longer a prisoner. You are now rescued by your kinsmen, and there's a hope and a future for you, and then you can work on growing up. But if you try to redeem yourself, you'll never do it. So a word of comfort for everyone who's uncomfortable. And everyone can fall into it. Do you see, do you see how even others around you can fall into it? It's easier to see that. But to recognize it's not just Orthodox rabbinic Jews, it's not just strict Catholics, it's not just uh, fundamentalists who can fall into it. Messianic Jews can fall into it. Not only can Messianic Jews fall into it, but Messianic Jews can never get out of it sometimes because they have never experienced the freedom that comes from redemption. And they've bought some of the ideas of Messiah, but not all the ideas. And so if I may have to say that another way. If a person has always been trying to redeem themselves and they come into the Messianic movement, they will not have fixed that problem just by coming into the Messianic movement. A person could be in the Messianic movement for dozens of years and not fix that problem. So I want to encourage you, you can fix the problem. 
And the way you fix it is by not trying to be your own redeemer and by humbling yourself before God and saying, God, I've been trying to save myself. I can't. Only you can. I've been trying to redeem myself. I've been trying to make myself acceptable to other people by redeeming myself in their eyes. You can't do it. And when you realize you can't do it, then you discover something. There's still a price to pay. You see, that's the interesting thing. What motivates people sometimes is they have a keen awareness. There's a penalty. I'm guilty. What do you do with that? That's where you go to God and say, I am so guilty. That's why I need your sacrifice. And that's why I'm so grateful that the penalty that I deserve was not put on me, but on him. And he paid the price for me. He took the full weight of the penalty. And then there's such joy when the weight isn't on you anymore. And you can say, Lord, you love me. Now some people say the Lord loves me just as I am, and that is true to a point. The Lord loves us just the way we are, um, but he wants us to grow up. And I would compare it to this. How many have ever had little kids and you love them when they were crying in the middle of the night and couldn't sleep? How many of you had little kids and you loved them when they were making poopy diapers? Yeah, you do. But if your teenagers are making poopy diapers, It's not the same. Am I right? <laughs> so if they're just the same <laughs> with those qualities, um, yeah, you love them, but not in the same way. It's like grow up. I'm just using a funny example. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for becoming our kinsman redeemer and for rescuing us and paying the price for us. Thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And thank you for making it absolutely personal and familial and becoming our kinsman redeemer, not, not a redeemer through a system and not a redeemer who is a stranger or a sojourner or from far, far away. Not a redeemer of a different species, but you became a human being. You took on a human body, and the God of gods became small enough that he could live inside of a human body, and you grew up in a family like ours in order to redeem us because we couldn't redeem ourselves. Thank you for your humility, and thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your salvation. You who are the God of the whole earth have become our close family member. We love you and we honor you in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. If you would please rise. And if you're sitting by yourself or standing by yourself, you don't have to. You can move a little bit. And hey, if you're on Facebook and you think of Rabbi Victor Valensky, it's her, his birthday today. Yeah. 
Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord guard you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace through Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Amen.